You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. You can be seated and good morning to all of you. If I asked you about history's greatest philosophers, you'd probably come up with names like Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, Cicero. And those were some amazing uh, thinkers, some amazing philosophers. But 700 years before those well-known names, we have Solomon, who is writing the book of Ecclesiastes with with great wisdom and great philosophy and plainly speaking about about life and the struggles that, that we face in life. Solomon seems to write about three of our biggest existential questions of all time, um, origin, meaning, and destiny. Like, where, where did we come from? And what's the purpose of life today? Why am I alive today? What is the meaning of my life today? And then where is all this headed? That's, that's destiny. And if you're here today and you're disconnected from God, you don't know the Father through Jesus Christ, then to answer those three questions about origin and meaning and destiny... Really, you have to land at this. Where did I come from? I'm not real sure. What's my meaning? I, I just live for myself. I just try to live the best I can every day, just living for my own name. Well, where, where's this headed? What's the destiny for those who are disconnected from God? Where well, you're going to a place that, that, that's unknown. So from the unknown, living for yourself, headed to the unknown. But for those who are connected with God through the Son, Jesus Christ, your answers are very different. Where do we come from? We came from God. Why am I alive? What's my purpose? What's my meaning? Well, I live for God. And then what's your destiny? Where, where are you going? Well, I'm going to God. A completely different understanding of those three questions that humanity has always wrestled with, origin and meaning and, and destiny. With your copy of God's Word today, let's just keep pressing forward in this great book of wisdom, the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you'd find chapter 3 with me, please. If you're relatively new to church or new to the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes is a few books to the right of the book of Psalms. You can go to your, to your smartphone, to your device. Maybe a nice person next to you would be glad to share. If there's no nice people next to you, maybe you need to move and sit somewhere else. But we can all go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3 together. Let's begin with with this passage, Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Believe it or not, the words we're about to read um, are from a song. In fact, Solomon did not write this song from 1956, The Birds, uh, through every season. I know I lost about 80% of the crowd by saying that just then, but here's, here's the lyrics to the bird song, and here's God's word to us. For everything, there's a season. And a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep. A time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence. And a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. The big idea in these first eight verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is that there's, there's chapters in life. 
Or verse 1, it says there's seasons in life. Or verse 1, there's a time for, for every matter. You think about it, things start up. You, you start up school, you start up a relationship, you start up a job, you, you start life. And then things wrap up, things end. You graduate, or you, you break up, or you're unemployed, or you retire, you die. Life is just odd like that, Solomon is saying. Life is filled with chapters. It's filled with seasons of life. One day you're, you're torn up. One day you're healed up. One day you watch your life come together. One day you watch your life just fall apart in front of you. One day you can't stop but smiling. And one day you can't stop but weeping. One day you can't stop dancing. One day you can't stop grieving. One day your house gets built. One day your house gets bulldozed. One day a loved one walks towards you. One day a loved one, maybe that same loved one, walks away from you. One day you have great hope and you're pursuing your dreams. Other days you feel like you're hopeless and life has become like a nightmare to you. One day you bring a new thing home. The other day you might throw that same thing in the garage. One day we need to open our mouths. One day we need to shut our mouths. One day you love your life. One day you hate your life. One day feels like a vacation. One day feels like that you're at war. What's, what is Solomon saying? What is God saying to us today? For you note takers, you can write this down. Maybe you can write this down in the margins of your Bible right here in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Here it is. God never wastes even one season of our lives. Whatever season you're on right now, whatever chapter you're in right now, whatever condition you might be walking through right now, God will never waste even one season of our lives. Any season that God allows, he will redeem. The good seasons, the bad seasons, the ugly seasons, the indifferent seasons, the fantastic times, the horrific times, the easy seasons of life, the difficult seasons of life, any season that God allows you to go through, he will redeem. He will never waste even one season, one chapter of your life. There will probably be about 2,500 people here today at Highland, probably another 500 maybe watching online today, maybe listening to, uh, at some point this week. That's 3,000 people with 3,000 different stories. And 3,000 different seasons and 3,000 different chapters and 3,000 different difficulties. And God is sovereign over every person. He is sovereign over every story. And God is not always pleased with what is happening, but he's never perplexed. We don't get to the end of our lives and find out that there's a piece missing somewhere. There's no piece of the puzzle left over in the end. And either God is sovereign and in control of all things or he is in control of nothing. And I believe God's word comes to us today in the book of Ecclesiastes and says that God is indeed sovereign over everything. Verse 9, short question. What gain has the worker from, from his toil? So Solomon returns right here in verse 9 back to this, this thought of, of purpose. What is our purpose in life? Why do we wake up? Why do we go to work? Why do we go to school? And I don't think the question right here was meant to be depressing, although some of Solomon's questions can be a little depressing. I think here it's meant to, to be evaluative, to kind of evaluate your life. Like what purpose is there in, in working? What is your passion? What is bigger in your life than work? What is bigger in your life than, than school? What's more eternal than just your daily routine? What gain has the worker from his toil? Verse 10, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And God has given us this business of life, or this business of living. Your Bible might use the word there, the word task. 
of living. If you have the NIV, I think it uses the word burden. God has given us this burden of life, this burden of living. It gives kind of this introspective statement. What truly lasts in the daily business of our life? What truly is important in the daily task of our life, in that daily business of, of waking up? And, and studying or, or going to work and going down your to-do list and putting check marks for all the things you need to do and, and paying your bills and finding time to eat and finding some free time to do something that you want to do and then going to bed only to push the repeat button tomorrow morning and doing it all over again. I think God's word is saying, what, what is there really to life that's important? It's eternal that will last Verse 11 of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he, meaning God, has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Let me take apart the first, I'm assuming the second portion of, of verse 11. God has put eternity into our hearts. God has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he, meaning man, we, cannot find out exactly what God has done, has already done, from the very beginning to, to the very end. God has put inside of all of this this desire to know eternal things. That's why those great existential questions are, are origin. Where did I come from? What's my meaning of life today? Where is all this headed? Why, why do we think like that? I think it goes back to verse 11. God has put eternity in our hearts. We want to think about eternal things. We want to think about important things. That's why a lot of us in this room, we, we ask big questions. We, we want to know who God is. We want to know what is the purpose in, in our individual lives. Why is that? Well, I think God's word gives us the answer right now. It is God who has put these eternal longings in, in our lives. We also see here at the beginning of verse 11, he says, he has made everything beautiful in his time. God has made everything beautiful, which means the word complete or, or perfect in its time. We, we sometimes stop right there. We admit, God, you have not made everything beautiful. You have not made everything perfect. You have not made everything complete. And so the really important operative phrase there is in its time. Here's what you note takers can write down. God uses everything. Bending all of it back to, to his will or toward his will and toward his beauty and toward our good. This is what it means that he will make everything beautiful, everything right, everything complete, everything whole in its time. God is going to use everything, every one, every day, every minute, every opportunity, every detail, every chapter, every story, every difficulty. God will use all of these things, bending it back toward his will, toward his beauty and our good. Highland. This means we can live with confidence this week. Not arrogance. The confidence, it means that we can live with courage this week in the middle of any situation of life because God will make everything beautiful in its time. Today in this passage in chapter 3, I want to actually show you four foundations that will stabilize your life. Maybe you feel like life is chaotic for you right now. I want to show you four things in this passage that I pray will bring some stability, some spiritual stability to your life. Maybe life was chaotic for you last semester, last week, last year, and things are fine for you right now. Let me just give you a good word. If things are fine for you right now, you're headed right toward chaos probably tomorrow. <laughs> it is the story of life. We're coming out of it, we're in it, or we're headed straight toward it. So what are four foundational things that can stabilize, spiritually stabilize our lives? Kind of think of it like, like, like the four legs of a chair. 
That, that, that chair is, is wobbling. That, that, that chair will probably not hold you up completely. Or maybe it brings some fear to you and only three legs are, are available on that chair. So I want to show you four things that you can build your life upon. Four foundational truths that can stabilize our lives. Here's the first one. God is perfectly wise. Go back to chapter 3, verse 1. I know we've read it already. Let me read it again. For everything, there is a season. There is a time for, for every matter. So we have everything and every matter under heaven. I know we read verse 11 already. Let's read verse 11 again. He, God, has made everything. So we have everything and every matter. And here, he has made everything, all things beautiful in its time. Also, God has put eternity into man's heart so that we cannot even understand what God has done. In other words, he has done these things. He has done all things from the very beginning to the very end. You see, God is perfectly wise in every appointed season of life that you are walking through today. What are the appointed seasons of life? We just read it in verse 2 through verse 8. Some of you right now, you're in one of these seasons. Maybe a season of breaking down. Maybe a season of building up. Maybe it's a season of weeping for you. Maybe it's a season of laughing for you. Maybe it's a season of keeping things. Maybe it's a season of casting things away. Maybe it's a season to be quiet. Maybe it's a season to speak. We have all these appointed seasons of life that, that are happening to you, verse 2 through verse, verse 8. And it may not seem like, like some of the seasons we walk through have any purpose whatsoever, but God sees these seasons from a different perspective. He sees them from a wider or better or more eternal perspective. Things that we do not see, God sees from beginning to end. My heroes in life... There's a couple that you probably don't know. Their names are Larry and Gene Elliott. And Larry and Gene Elliott were, were missionaries in Honduras uh, for 29 years. They are the ones who gave me a love for the gospel for all the world, a love for, for going into the nations and sharing the good news of Christ. Uh, just like the firefighters ran into the Twin Towers on 9-11, we saw those pictures relived yesterday, replayed yesterday. After 9-11, about 24 months after 9-11, the Elliots left Honduras, even though they were of retirement age and could have gone back to North Carolina to be with their grandkids, they rushed instead to Iraq, which was a theater of war at this time. This is 26, 27 months after 9-11. They went there with, with five other Christians to, to share the good news of Christ and to dig water wells to to, to bring pure water and clean water to villages, to families that were in great need there in Iraq. They were not there very long, about eight or nine weeks, and they were gunned down and, and killed by terrorists in the streets of, of Mosul, Iraq. Um, I spoke at their funeral. They were dear friends. Their, two of their granddaughters actually were members here at Highland when they were Baylor students this past couple of years. Just a, a man and a woman who just showed to me that the picture of the generosity and the kindness of, of God. When Larry was in, in college, Mr. Elliot was in college, he, his sophomore year, was told by his parents, uh, one of them had lost a job, you can stay in college, but you'll have to pay for all the tuition your, yourself. And so he went to apply for, for some jobs and could not find a job. Only one job was available, and it was driving a school bus early in the morning. 
he despised the thought of doing, uh, driving a school bus early in the morning. I don't know if there's any school bus drivers in here, but you have to get up about 3 o'clock, have to be at the schoolyard or the bus yard at 4 o'clock. You have to run your route. You're, you're breaking up fights. You're, you're telling kids to be nice to one another. You're helping kids on. You're helping kids who are weeping about things. You're, you're helping kids back off, and you have to do it all over again about seven hours later. He could not find a, another job anywhere in North Carolina that would give him enough money to pay for tuition, so he took this job as a sophomore in college. Hated it. Summertime came. Could not wait because it meant he did not have to drive a school bus. Junior year came. He looked for any other job that remotely would come close to paying for tuition. Could not find any other job anywhere else. So he drove a school bus, not only his junior year, but also his senior year in college, moving all of his classes to night classes so he could drive during the day to pay for his tuition. He will tell you it was the worst season of his life. In fact, he would jokingly say, I don't like kids anymore after driving a school bus. That season of life meant very little to him until he and his wife got married. He and Jean got married, moved to Tegucigalpa, Honduras, and a team was coming in to, to help them on, on mission. And the two small white SUVs that were going to go and pick up the team, both of them were broken. So there's a team at Tegucigalpa Airport that could not get to their mission site. And someone said out loud, well, there's a, there's a school bus behind the school. That, does anybody have any idea how to drive a school bus? And Larry said, I was almost ashamed, kind of replaying in my mind all those miserable mornings that now God was going to allow me to use that season of life to pick up a mission team to get to the right spot in Honduras to share the gospel. Fast forward a little bit more in 1998. I know I'm going to lose some of you on this story. Hurricane Mitch came through Honduras and killed 11,000 Hondurans. There was an emergency call that came through to the Elliot's house that there was a school on top of some mountains outside of Tegucigalpa. There was a great need. The kids were trying to get out of the school, but a mudslide had, had stopped them from one area. So they were asking, if there's a, is there a bus? Does anybody know how to drive a bus? If we could have a bus that could pull around the other side of that mountain, I think the kids could get in that bus, and then certainly there's a way to get them to safety. And so Larry got in that yellow school bus drove around to the backside of the mountain to pick up these kids from an orphanage actually at the top of a mountain there outside of Tegucigalpa and took all of them to safety. He said the entire time all I was replaying my mind is that God had prepared me for a moment like this in a season I despised as a sophomore, junior, and senior in college. God was bringing it all together. I guess this is what I'm trying to say. If you don't like the bus you're driving today, God is preparing you to drive a better bus tomorrow the greater purpose. He is perfectly wise. Here's the second thing. God is absolutely mysterious. I know we've read it three times. Let's make it four. Go back to verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. That's the operative phrase, in its time. Also, it is God who's put eternity in, in our hearts. Even though we can't find out what God has done. He has completed. He has perfected already from the beginning to the end. In other words, God has one plan from the beginning to the end. He already knows the beginning to the end. He's not making up reactions in life as he goes, as he goes on, as life goes on. God's not playing tennis with Satan trying to figure out the next move. He knows the end story. He knows where all of this lands, which goes back to that consequential question, that existential question of, of destiny. Where is all this going? Well, God knows because he's already done everything from the beginning to the end. I have no idea about tomorrow. You have no idea about tomorrow. 
the Supreme Court justices, they, they don't have any idea what tomorrow is going to be. President Biden, no idea what tomorrow is going to be like. President Trump didn't have any idea what tomorrow is going to be like, just so I can offend the Republicans and, and the Democrats. And no politician you'd ever vote for has any idea what tomorrow is going to be, so I can upset the, the libertarians and independents as well. I hope you're all upset. I'm an equal opportunity offender. Let's just all be upset today. I'm sure you have an awesome mom. She has no idea what's happening tomorrow. God does. He already knows tomorrow. I'll go one more than that. He knows all the tomorrows for the entirety of our lives. And Solomon reminds us, I think right here when he says, yet man does not know, he is reminding us that God is not our genie in a bottle. He so often does not cooperate with the the way we think he should be doing things. God doesn't behave. As was said of Aslan in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, he's not a tame lion. And I've learned in ministry, let me just kind of pass this on maybe to some young ministers, some young pastors, some young preachers here today. You feel like God's calling you into ministry. Here's something that I've learned. God does not need me to be his defense attorney. His ways and his decisions do not need my support. I proclaim him, but I do not need to defend him. God is our defense, but we are not his defense. God doesn't need a lawyer. He is mysterious. We need to understand that this is a leg of stability in our lives. We can just believe and know that God is absolutely mysterious. He does not need us to defend his ways and defend his decisions. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said in a sermon back in 1888. He says that mighty men are intent upon defending a lion. Oh, fools and slow of heart. Open that door. Let the Lord of the forest come forth free. Who will dare to encounter him? What does he want with your guardian care? Let the pure gospel go forth in all this lion-like majesty, and it will soon clear its own way and ease itself of its adversaries. If you're looking to stabilize an unstable season of your life, you don't have to understand the mystery of God. You don't even have to defend the mystery of God. But I would plead with you, press into the mystery of God. He is perfect in all of his ways. He's beautiful in all of his ways. This is the perfect mystery of our God. He's not tame, but he is good. This belief in God's wisdom and his belief in God's mysteriousness seems to satisfy, I think, one of the biggest questions that humans wrestle with Psalm is going to answer this question for us. It's in verse 16 of chapter 3. I hope your Bible is still open. Here's the question. Why is there evil in a world that God has created? Look at verse 16 of chapter 3. Moreover, Psalm says, I saw under heaven that, that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Verse 17, so I said in my heart, I said to myself, God, he will judge the righteous and the wicked for there is a time, here it is again, for every matter and for every work. Here's where Solomon lands on that age old question of why is there pain in the world? Why is there injustice in the world? Why is there wickedness in the world? Here it is. I'll trust God for what he said he will do. He will judge. And we know later in the New Testament, it's going to be his son, Jesus, that comes to judge. When Jesus comes to judge, he will judge accurately and in the right time. Here's the third leg of the chair that I hope will bring stability to the lives, to our lives that are often chaotic. Number three, enjoy thoroughly the gift of life. 
enjoy it today. I mean, it may or may not be there tomorrow. Verse 12, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I perceived that there's nothing better for them, for, for people, for us, than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all of his toil. This is God's gift to man. So enjoy life today, that this gift of work, this gift of food, this gift of drink, this gift of pleasure, this gift of breath, because verse 19 and verse 20 is coming. Verse 19, for what happens to the children of man? And what happens to the beast at, at the same time? Or it's the same one, as one dies, so dies the other. They, they all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. They all go to one place, all who are from the dust, and to dust all return. He's talking about the end of life. Verse 22. So I saw that there was nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. And who can bring him to see what will be after him? Here's what Solomon is saying. We cannot let what we cannot know destroy what we can enjoy. Every day is a gift from God. The life that you're living right now, the breath that you just took in just then, that is a gift from God. I know there's coming a day. I know there's coming a day. They're going to find cancer in me. I know there's coming a day that, that my heart's just going to give out. There may be coming a day that, that that car crosses over the yellow line and hits me head on, and this life that I know here under the sun is gone. I know one day this body will just give up and give out. But I refuse to let what I can't control destroy what I can enjoy. So we need to enjoy thoroughly this gift of life. Life is a gift from God, not just some chase after gain. And, and here in the West, I'm afraid we've made life just a chase after more things. If I can just get more things, more, more stuff, more possessions, more friends, more opportunities. We're just kind of chasing. We're spending our lives looking for more things. But instead, can we not just enjoy thoroughly the gift of life that God has given us? Here's the fourth thing as we wrap up. Rest in God's absolute sovereignty. That'll bring peace in the middle of chaos. Whatever season you might be in today, if you can just rest in God's absolute sovereignty. Look at verse 14. This speaks of the sovereignty of God. I perceived, Ecclesiastes 3.14, I perceived that whatever God does endures forever. And nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it. So that people fear before him that which is already has been and that which is to be already has been and God seeks what has been driven away. In other words, everything God does will last forever. He's not short-sighted. He's not hoping that everything is going to turn out okay. Verse 14, we see Solomon saying right here, there's nothing to add. There's nothing to take out. God's perfect plans for our lives do not need edits. They do not need a rewrite. Verse 15, the past and the future are set by God. So God can call back, that's where the word here in the ESV seeks, and connect in the past what is coming in the future. Thus the picture I've already painted of the Elliots. I mean, God, in, in full knowledge of what would be in the years ahead for Larry Elliot when he was a sophomore in college, that God was preparing him because God was already able to see what was to come. He connects the past with the future. God is perfect and he's good. He is kind and he's capable. 
Are you stressed out? God is good. And he's capable, he's kind, and he's sovereign. Are you worried about the week to come? God is good. And he's capable, he's kind, and he's sovereign. Listen, if he was just good, but completely incapable, he'd be a frustrating God. But if he was sovereign, but unkind, he'd be a terrifying God. But listen, the character of God comes together. He is good towards you. He is kind towards you. He is also capable of doing all things. He is sovereign in all of his ways. So we can rest. We can rest in the sovereignty of God. How do you know he's good? How do you know he's kind? He sent Jesus. How do you know he's sovereign? How do you know he's capable of doing all things? Jesus went to our cross and then rose again from the dead. So you can rest today in the absolute sovereignty of God and you can rest today in what Christ has done for you at the cross. Would you stand with me please and let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word to us today. And we're going to, God, we're going to rest in your sovereignty. We're going to enjoy thoroughly the gift of life. Forgive us, God, that we've been chasing for more things, chasing for gain. God, we want to rest in your goodness and enjoy this gift you've given us. God, we believe you're mysterious. That doesn't make us fearful. We want to press into the mystery of God. We want to embrace the mystery of God. You are perfect, God, in your wisdom. This will solidify a life often seems like is in the middle of chaos we trust every chapter will not be wasted you're good and kind you're capable and you're sovereign we believe these things and we pray these things in the name of Jesus amen